HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to heritageradionetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At the Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online video series. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everyone. Hi. Um, so I'm Sari. I'm the public programs manager at MOFAD, and I'm here having a conversation uh, through Zoom video. Um, so this is a first for us at MOFAD. We're trying some stuff out, but I'm really excited to be talking to Andrea Strong right now. She's a food journalist, and um, I'm going to let her kind of introduce herself and tell her tell you guys what she's working on. So take it away, Andrea. Hi. Um, hi, everyone. And Sari, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, I've been a journalist covering uh, food policy for 
20 years now. I started out um, covering more about restaurants and trends, and I started a blog, one of the first blogs called The Strong Buzz. Um, and then as my career has evolved, um, I've been covering food policy related to nutrition, school lunch, um, and uh, for Heated, for Food and Wine, NPR. Um, and most recently, I've been covering the coronavirus uh, crisis as it relates to restaurants, um, food insecurity, um, seniors, children uh, for Food and Wine magazine. Um, so, what is your what's your life like right now? Like, what's your typical kind of day? I imagine, unlike a lot of people who are out of work, you probably have a lot of work right now. <laughs> Well, thankfully, um, yeah, freelance, as a freelancer, you know, you're always sort of wondering, I am a freelance journalist, um, you're always wondering where your next stories come from. And uh, right now, yes, I am really uh, lucky and feel very grateful that um, I've been able to cover um, the coronavirus crisis and that I'm not out of work yet um, for food and wine. So that's been helpful. Um, and hopefully helpful to the readers of Food and Wine. You know, my my goal with the coverage um, has been to be a great resource for operators, for people who've been laid off, uh, for for those of us who are at home and wondering what can we do to help. Um, so a lot of my coverage has been really service oriented for um, for people who want to give, for people who are affected, for people who've had to close their businesses. Um, just last week, I was writing stories like how to dine out safely, and uh, obviously, that's not relevant anymore because no one's dining out anymore. It's funny and scary how quickly things change. But um, a day in the life, you know, probably like a lot of people who are listening to this, um, I'm a parent. I have a six-year-old and a ten-year-old, so um, my day starts with sitting down with them and trying to figure out how, like, what their day is going to look like and make a schedule for them of, uh, you know, that doesn't involve Scooby-Doo, like, 24 hours a day. Um, and then once I get them on some sort of a schedule, I try to do reporting and writing and making lunch and feeding them and answering questions and making Legos and breaking up fights. So it's very glamorous. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds it sounds like a lot. <laughs> it, it it at times it is a lot, and I think probably for most parents who are doing what I'm doing, trying to juggle parenting, homeschooling, and their their jobs, it's very stressful. And um, you know, sometimes I lose it. And um, like we were said, we were talking earlier. I go for walks. I take the kids for walks. I started jogging again. Um, you know, there is a there is a silver lining here. Like I get together with friends for for a walk at the end of the day and a walk and a talk, and it's really nice. So um, it's different, but it's kind of beautiful too. Yeah. Um, so how are you doing your work? Like, what's the approach to coverage? Because I imagine as a journalist, you spend a lot of time kind of like out in the world talking to people. Uh, face to face. So what what has shifted as far as like trying to get the resources you need for your story? Yeah, um, there's not a lot of face to face. And that's disappointing, because I think a lot of, um, you know, the great moments in stories come from meeting people and sharing what that's like. Um, but you know, mo all of my interviews are either on video or um, over the phone. Um, I've interviewed more infectious disease specialists than I ever have in my life. Oh, wow. um, you know, like I'm not used to 
talking to um, people who were the chief medical officer at the CDC. Usually I'm talking to a chef. (laughs) So um, that's been... Has there been a learning curve there as far as like just the kind of language and difference in communication versus like a medical professional versus a chef? Well, I, I feel very lucky that the medical professionals that I have spoken to have been incredibly kind and have like been very patient with me while I ask them, you know, 10 different yeah. questions. Like, you know, it's like infectious diseases for dummies. Um, so, uh, and I've been reading medical research, like I haven't really done that before. Um, but there was a research report that came out last week Um uh, about the lifespan of the virus on surfaces, um, finding that it lasts a lot longer on surfaces and in the air in particular than we thought. So I was reading that. So um, I'm definitely reading um, and talking to people I've never spoken to before. Um, but luckily, they've been they've been great. Um, and then also just getting in touch with, you know, for the, the, the story that I wrote yesterday that went up yesterday uh, on the resources for, um, for food insecure and uh, vulnerable families uh, across the country, just talking to people at the food bank, um, interviewing the director of the mayor's office of food policy here in New York City, speaking to the mayor's, uh, the director of food policy in Chicago, the heads of different food banks people who are working um, on food rescue and have sort of shifted gears and are taking the the food that they were rescuing and now just providing meals for anyone who needs them free of charge. Um, Interviewing Jose Andres, you know, um, it's been, it's been really rewarding to feel like, you know, I think all of us right now probably feel like we want to do something other than, you know, scream. Um, Also scream. Also (laughs) scream. I do that. It's okay to scream. Um, scream. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it does feel somewhat rewarding to be able to put up a story that has, you know, 20 different ways that you can make a donation and impact someone's life. And then the story that I wrote before that was all about restaurant relief funds and different uh, fundraising opportunities for um, out of work bartenders, servers. the, one of the really cool resources that um, I uncovered was um, this organization called Rethink, mm-hmm. um, and they're a food rescue nonprofit based in New York, and they have pivoted uh, their business model, and they're doing two things that I think is just incredibly impactful. The first is that they are hiring right now, mm-hmm. and there are so many out of work. Obviously, you know, you just decimated the entire restaurant industry in one day. Um, so many people are out of work and they are hiring back of the house employees, chefs, um, people to drive, people to stock, um, to work in their Brooklyn Navy Yard location where they're preparing all of their meals. And then they are also giving grants, $40,000 grants to any restaurant that you, you apply on their website. Um, and if you've closed your restaurant, they will give you a $40,000 grant to pay your staff, keep them employed pay your rent, and then your restaurant becomes a distribution center for these free meals for food insecure or any family that needs a great nutritious meal. So that was really interesting. Um, And I think the other thing that's changed um, and sort of increased in this age of reporting is I really use social media a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There are Facebook groups that have sprung up 
like um, there's a hospitality alliance um, COVID group. There's a bartender relief fund COVID group. So, you know, you can get all these great stories just from being a part of these groups. Um, for instance, there's a bartender here in New York City who has started these virtual cocktail parties and he put a link for it on one of my Facebook groups and you can join and there are gonna be guest bartenders and liquor sponsors and then anyone who's in the cocktail party can leave a tip and Venmo the bartender money and they made $600 like wow. in two nights ago. So, um, you know, social media has really become a great resource as a reporter. I mean, I think it always has been a resource, but increasingly now. Mm -hmm. um, and also a way for people to connect that's, that's been really um, moving. Yeah. Um, you touched on this a little bit, but just as far as like policies that are changing so quickly, like one day you're reporting on, you know, restaurants operating at half capacity and then the next day, like, they're just done. How are you, how are you, how as a journalist does it work when things are moving that fast? Yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, we don't work in a print, in the print media right now, we're online. So it's, um, we're updating stories constantly. The story that I wrote last week, which was like, you know, be safe, but, but try and go out. Um, if you feel, um, if you feel well and you're not in a vulnerable category, go out and eat at restaurants. And by the next day, I was getting hammered, like, what are you doing? Don't tell yeah, me. Yeah, I saw that. Out. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, they're right. You know, it changed really quickly. So we, we put a disclaimer on the article that at the time of press, this was, you know, it, it, not inadvisable, but obviously now things have changed. Um, so it's a lot of just being very malleable and not, and, and you know, kind of thick skinned and just, um, being able to pivot quickly. Um, and I, I'm working with really great editors at Food and & Wine um, and at Heated, so that's been really helpful too. Yeah. We had that experience at MoFed, actually. I, I mean, I don't know if it was last week because every day is a year I know. now. I have no idea. Um, I guess it was two weeks ago. I don't know. Uh, we got a call at MoFed from a reporter at Eater because as, as of that time, our planned exhibition was still planning to open on April 3rd. And I had a program in a few days that we sent out, we made a decision as a team to, to go forward with it. And we just thought, you know, there's things that we can do to ensure people's safety, like we can do, you know, we can space out chairs and all of our food is, is prepared in house. And we thought, you know, like, hey, we feel comfortable, you know, taking your safety into our hands here, like take a break from the COVID, like come to MoFAD. Right. And then we sent that out in the newsletter and an Eater reporter called us to say like, we're doing a story on, on programs that are still happening and institutions that have made the decision to stay open. Like, can you talk about the strategies? And I did. And then by the next day we made the decision to the yeah. exhibition is not opening and everything's canceled. So, I mean, it's, it's just so fast paced. And I felt, I felt really, kind of like irresponsible for sending out that newsletter, but it's like, you, you don't know what you don't yeah. know, I guess. I felt exactly the same. Yeah. I felt like at the time I thought, you know, I, I interviewed the, the former chief medical officer for the CDC for the story. And he's telling me it is, it is safe to go out for dinner. You know, just restaurants are taking tables out there, social distancing, wipe things down, just be, you know, don't go out. Obviously if you're, you have a preexisting condition or if you're, in a vulnerable population. And I was like, oh, great. You know, I want to support my community. I've been reporting about restaurants for 20 years. Like, these are my people. Yeah. 
And then as soon as like, literally, I think hours later, everything had changed. Um, You know, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's sort of like I was, I was on a podcast yesterday. um, And we were talking about how, um, how similar it is to um, 9-11. And, you know, when the restaurant community really rallied at that time, um, and they were the ones that were really feeding the first responders, like Don Pintabona and Gray Coons, who recently passed away, um, Charlie Palmer, Daniel Balud, like they were down at the, the docks. They were the ones who said, we are not going to be able to get food below 14th Street on the roads. Let's get it by on on the sea, on yeah. the Hudson River. And, um, you know, our restaurant community has always been like a first responder in some ways, you know, Jose Andres during the hurricanes, um, the team during 9-11, feeding all the first responders at Ground Zero. And, um, you know, even now with them being shuttered, they are, you know, raising money and trying to care for their employees. And um, so I am really, I feel very privileged to be able to spread whatever, word and and programs and resources that are there you know i i really at this point i'm not i guess i'm a journalist but i'm more of like the mouthpiece of whoever needs to get their information out there on how we can help and how we can support everyone um i have been seeing on this one facebook group that i'm in that um the unemployment site is just completely bonkers you can't like six hours people are spending refresh refresh refresh. So I, um, I called, um, Andrew Riggi, who's the head of the New York city hospitality Alliance, who I speak to pretty regularly and, um, and emailed his lawyer, Carolyn Richmond, who's their labor attorney. And I was like, look, is there anything we can do, you know, for all these workers who need to get to file for unemployment? And she was like, it's just, it's just, a catastrophe like you fire an entire industry in one day there they don't have the capacity to to even file the claims so um you know getting her message to the workers like anything that i can do really as a journalist as a conduit of information is really what i'm trying to do right now mm-hmm. um and keep some hope going yeah have you written any stories that were that were just by the time like you filed them, they just were no longer relevant or factual. Um, well, I've written. I had a couple of assignments that um, I am. In, I was in the middle of reporting um, for Food and Wine and for Heated, and my editors were like, "We're not. We're not putting up anything about desserts right now." Yeah, like, yeah. I was doing a profile, um, a profile of this really amazing chef. And my editor was like, yeah, don't worry about getting that done. Right. I mean, it will get done eventually, but, you know, the, the coverage has just shifted so much. Um, I did get to write a really moving piece um, that went up today on Heated. Um, they asked some of their contributors to talk about a meal that brings them a lot of comfort, which I thought was really lovely. And so I wrote a story about my Persian grandmother, Sarah, who I called Bibby. And um, she means so much to me. And she died when I was pregnant with my daughter. And um, so the opportunity to write something about her and and her food and her cooking uh, was really meaningful to me. 
Yeah. So that's been nice. <laughs> okay. We'll look out for that. Yeah. Um, what, what are the, the biggest challenges that you're facing right now in your job? Um, I think, you know, uh, just keeping up a regular supply of work, you know, as a freelancer, you're always wondering where your next story is going to be. Um, right now, as, as we said earlier, like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty much the, uh, coronavirus reporter, which is, I guess, good. Um, but, uh, you know, just maintaining um, my level of income and reporting is always um, on my mind. And, um, you know, it's challenging for me also to just, you know, be a parent and work like all of us who are juggling so many different things right now, you know, with school out, that's been kind of challenging too. And just maintaining like your own, like taking care of yourself, like everyone who's reading, listening, reading this listening to this, like we all have to go for a walk or go for a jog or sit outside and take some deep breaths and remember to smile. Yeah. It's so easy not to, you know, you're, and take a news break. Yeah. I, I, I ignorance is bliss. Sometimes. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> you know, at least for 20 minutes. Right. Are those kind of the, the main things you're doing for, I guess, self-care or yeah yeah I, I haven't been uh reading uh the news as much as i did in the first days like i'll read it i'll read the news when i wake up in the morning and, and that's it um and um i try and go for a jog or a walk every day and see friends outside six feet apart um go for my wine walks with my um my girlfriends and find some time to talk to my husband when we're not like figuring out how we're going to control our children. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like self-care is really important right now too. Yeah. Um, I would say generally as far as like food media and food news goes, we're hearing a lot from chefs that we, we all know their names. What are other aspects of the industry that you think should be getting more attention right now? Um, I think, you know, the, the number, sheer number of, uh, workers in the restaurant industry who, um, who were vulnerable before they got those jobs and now are vulnerable again. Um, I, I have a friend who owns a cafe in Brooklyn and she has a couple of, um, a couple of workers who were, are formerly incarcerated and, you know, she gave them their she gave them jobs and they they've been working for her for a while um and you know she's worried you know now that they're unemployed and their unemployment benefits are quite meager um you know what's going to happen to them like people who are you know were were formerly homeless and are just getting like people on the edge i think are are the ones that need the most attention and the most um care right now. Um, and I think that those people really are the hospitality workforce. Like they're the dishwashers and the porters and the bussers and the servers and the delivery guys. And, um, uh, I was interviewing the, um, director of the mayor's office of food policy. And one of the things New York city is trying to do, it's in the works is a workforce matching program where, um, we take you know, sort of like Tinder, but for unemployment, where you take the people who 
like the Fresh Directs and the Amazon Directs and the Costco's and all of these big, the food supply chain that needs more people to stock and deliver and do inventory. Mm-hmm. They are, they need more people and you match them with the unemployed, um, anyone who's been become unemployed in the restaurant and retail sector. Mm-hmm. You know, we need more smart, smart matching. Um, and uh, so I would say, you know, more coverage of, of those kinds of programs and, uh, you know, just keeping also some hopeful stories of, you know, communities coming together. And, you know, I know in my mom's building, my mom, Gloria, um, she lives in Brooklyn and um, she is, uh, I won't disclose her age, but she's an older, um, she's older and in her building, like you, so many people have come and knocked on her door and stayed, you know, when she opens the door, they have a mask on or they're, they're like down the hall and they're like, Gloria, if you need anything, here's my number, text me, I'll go grocery shopping for you. You know, I think stories that really um, show you what kind of people um, are out there and how we're helping each other and lifting each other up and really taking care of each other in this time would be um, really great. stories to cover right now too we all need we all need you know a little a little cheer you do um you were talking about the the amazons and the fresh direct and i don't know if you have insight or information about this but what kind of precautions are those kind of companies taking if they're you know employing so many people how are they keeping them safe yeah the the press releases that i've gotten from costco and fresh direct have really gone into a lot of detail about um you know, everyone's wearing gloves. We have uh, hand washing stations. Uh, we have hand sanitizer. Um, uh, you know, the the social distancing in terms of their 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 employees who are working there are also being kept further apart. Um, I did get an email yesterday. I don't know if you also received this from Fresh Direct from their um, CEO that one of their workers did test positive for coronavirus, and um, you know he. He said that the person was not involved in food handling, food preparation, or delivery. Um, he's being isolated. People who worked with him are also being isolated. So there's a there's a great deal of transparency, yeah, which I think is really important. Um, you know, in the food pantries uh, and nonprofits that I interviewed, they they talked a lot about how usually at a food pantry, you know, everyone comes in and you shop like it's a grocery store, but now uh, some food pantries are keeping people at the door and you just, you fill out a clipboard and you tell them what you want and they package it. They have gloves and then, you know, they give you your goods. Some are, are moving to an open air model where they just bring the food out on pallets and you're just like, you're, you know, it's not enclosed. So I guess it's a little bit, um, it's a little safer. So there are a lot of precautions and new policies that are being put into place. Um, people are definitely taking it seriously, thankfully, um, and making sure that the vulnerable populations are being fed and that they are, are not going to infect them while they're feeding them, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so for people tuning in and watching this, what are a couple ways to help? What are some meaningful things that we out there can do? Yeah. Um, so there are two stories that I posted on Food & Wine. Um, the first is about a collection of all restaurant relief funds 
And as more come in, I'm updating that story regularly. So if you want to make a contribution to um, a restaurant relief fund, um, a bartender fund, um, they're, they're happening all over the, the country in different states. Um, the Giving Kitchen in Atlanta, for instance, is actually, they have a fund for restaurant workers who do have coronavirus. Um, there are other restaurant uh, emergency funds, one by One Fair Wage, that is giving emergency cash out to unemployed restaurant workers. So check out that story if you want to help the, the restaurant industry. Um, and then the second story has a list of all charities and nonprofits uh, working to get meals to food insecure and COVID vulnerable populations. Um, everything from food banks, City Harvest, Meals on Wheels, um, Table Table in New Jersey, um, Love and Spoonful in Texas, um, every kind of nonprofit that is working to get meals to vulnerable uh, populations. Mm -hmm. And um, I do want to shout out to the Office of Food and Nutrition Services here in New York City. Um, that's the DOE arm responsible with feeding our children. Um, Christa Carrico, Stephen O'Brien, they are both doing a tremendous job in making sure on a very, you know, the schools were shuttered Sunday night for Monday morning, and they made sure that every school in New York City would have grab-and-go breakfast and lunch available the next day at every school, and that has continued all week, and uh, we will, they will continue serving 1.1 million public school children throughout this crisis. They're moving to a summer feeding model next week. So that'll mean a um, couple of neighborhood schools per neighborhood, not every school, but those will be listed on their website and at 311. So if you are a New York City parent, um, any, anyone 21 and under is eligible for those meals. That's amazing. Um, so this is a tough question, but from, your, from where you sit, what do you feel like is the future of, of the restaurant industry? Oh, that is a tough question. Okay, um, you don't have an answer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I tend to be an, an optimistic person. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the restaurant industry has always been an industry that is incredibly resilient and incredibly generous. And I think that um, it's not enough, obviously, for the, the public to support them you know, the federal government and the states need to step in and save the hospitality industry so that our entire economy doesn't crash. The hospitality industry makes up so, and, and so much of our economy's health and wealth. Um, but I think that we're going to make it through. I'm hopeful that uh, we are flattening the curve and that uh, the summer months will um, see a lessening of the infection rate. Um, there are some studies coming out that are showing that the virus is heat sensitive. Um, and I feel like it will take extraordinary measures, but we are a community of extraordinary people and that we will uh, weather the storm and that we'll be brought closer together because of it. Yeah, I hope so. Um, Andrea, tell us how we can follow along with your reporting and where we can find you on social. Oh, thanks. Um, so uh, I am on Twitter at, uh, at StrongBuzz, um, and I am on Instagram, also StrongBuzz. Uh, that was my old blog. Um, and I'm on Facebook, Andrea Strong. Um, I don't really do Instagram because I'm over 50, but 
occasionally I figure it out and I put something out there. I have to put my daughter in charge of that, but mostly, mostly on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and I do write regularly for f food and wine and for heated. So um, you can check out those publications too. And, and um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Thanks. Thank <laughs> um, I appreciate it as well. This was so, so informative and it would be great if we could do this again. I'd love to like keep in touch and kind of make this oh, a regular yeah. thing so you can keep us updated. It was, I, I felt like I got so much information from this conversation that we don't usually get just from even, you know, skimming the news. So yeah, sure. I would all the resources you've been compiling. I know MoFAD has been um, amplifying those as much as possible. So we will keep, you know, checking in with you and just, we just appreciate you being out there and for hey. some time with us. Thank you so much, and I look forward to chatting again soon. Okay. Stay well. Thanks. You too, Andrea. Thank you. Bye. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.